As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. The Phil Hay Show. Hello there, welcome to the show. The Phil Hay Show is brought to you by The Athletic and The Square Ball. Get in touch with the show via the new Twitter account at The Phil Hay Show. My name's Dan Moylan. Hello. Joined by my colleague from The Square Ball, Michael Normanson. Hello. Phil Hay completing his recovery from his surgery at the end of April. If you've been listening across the summer, you'll know we recorded a top 10 signings feature that's been running across the last few weeks. We are on to Phil's number four today. So you will still hear Phil's voice on the podcast for the next few weeks. While Phil is off, we're having guests in from the world of Leeds United. We're going to hear from Bryn Law in just a little bit. And look out next week, we've got John Richardson coming on the show. In the meantime, a quick reminder that you can sign up to The Athletic for a special price for the Euros. £1 a month for six months, six quid to pay between now and the end of the year for access to the very best sports writing anywhere, including that excellent coverage of Leeds United. Head to theathletic.com forward slash leads pod to sign up. Before we speak to Bryn Law then in just a little bit, let's get a very special guest here on the Phil Hay Show. Uh, Phil Hay. Hello. Back well, from the abyss. Oh, thank God. Thank God. It's so good to hear your voice, Phil. Thank God. Uh, how are you? I'm very well, thank you. I'm very well. Thanks for inviting me on. <laughs> it's about time. I've, I've been I've been skiving for two months and um, and kicking me heels. So no, it's, it's nice to be back. I'm, I'm in one piece. The staples are out. The scars kind of going slowly. Um, little by little getting there. So yeah, feeling great. Boyish good looks maintained. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I was kind of hoping with the, the staples that I might get a bit of a Game of Thrones look, but actually it's a bit tame and there's there's not too much to see. So um, an extra in that series is, uh, is out of the question. Well, it's good to know that you're in one piece and we've got to start with the obvious question. Any news, Phil? You were going to ask me about R- Rodrigo De Paul, weren't Who? you? Who? And I've, been, I've been thinking of you for the last fortnight as, um, as this move to Atletico Madrid was getting going. Um <laughs> Tell me honestly, who was the card from? The oh, Rodrigo de Paul card. My birthday card. That was from my mum. She's she listens and she thought that would be funny to do to send one from Rodrigo de Paul. As mother's jokes go, that's pretty good. It I is, think it is, isn't it? But yeah, so so how are things um, in the world of Legion United? Have you been keeping in touch? I have. I mean, I, I watched. I was in hospital for for twelve nights after the op, so I watched a few of the games in there and and caught up with the rest of them at home. Was. Very, very impressed actually with the way they finished off the season. If anything, they, they seemed to be getting stronger while other teams were 
kind of wrapping up um, for the summer. I thought it was good to see Rodrigo coming good in, in that little spell. I thought it was great to see the way they, they outplayed Spurs at Ellen Road. Um, it's been quite quiet since then, but I mean, it's one of those where there's, there's a lot of stuff bubbling in the background, player contracts, Bielsa's contract, obviously, which will come at some stage, but um, him being him never comes at, at a rate of knots. And I think we will, before long, start to see a bit of movement with, with signings as well. But I don't think it's going to be a highly dramatic summer. Everybody seems pretty content with where the club are at. And, you know, I think everybody feels pretty content about the shape they're in going into next season. Just to clarify um, why you are back on this show, we should probably explain that you are just coming on just for the first part of this show, just to make sure that your, your brain and your mouth still works. It's a good test. That that was actually the one of the, the few side effects I had in the days after the operation was that I found that my mouth was moving more slowly than my brain. So I was finding it difficult to keep up with my thought process while I was talking. But yeah, I'll um, I'll probably be back into the mix in some guys middle of next month and then I think back for real um, for the start of the season at the beginning of August, which to be honest, I'm really looking forward to because I'm starting to get twitchy now and starting to get a little bit bored despite the, the freedom that you have with this. Back before Adam Forshaw. That's the aim, Phil. <laughs> well, you never know. You never know. So have you been keeping in touch then with all the Leedsy stuff like, you know, contacts and whatnot while you've been um, sat at home twiddling your thumbs? Little bits and pieces. I mean, for two or three weeks, three, four weeks, I, I left it alone completely with the exception of of watching the games. Um, but yeah, I mean, people keep in touch with you as much as anything else. So you, you still hear what's going around. Um, I keep an eye on, on the news, obviously, and, and we've got guys at The Athletic who are covering things as they happen. I mean, it's been pretty much what we expected. Obviously, Alioski is still up in the air and Bielsa will sign um, when he gets around to it and when everything's right. And I think we'll probably see players in most of the positions that we, we expected to see players coming in, particularly um, at left-back. That'll still be the, the priority for them. But yeah, no, I have as, as best I can. And I, I've always tried to remember at the back of my head that at some point I'll need to get back into this. So I could do with being vaguely informed when, when I, I get started again, which, uh, which would be for the best, I think. And messaging that coming out of the club seems to be fairly consistent all round. We, obviously, we spoke to Angus and Victor on this show in your absence, and uh, it seems to be a kind of a, a quality over quantity when it comes to signings. And left back, midfielder, winger seems to be the uh, the overarching uh, message. I still think those are the those are the, the three that it sounds like they they will do. Um, I think definitely left back and, and definitely a centre mid. I suspect with a winger, it will depend who's out there and, and how far the budget will stretch. And I guess we'll, we'll see as well um, whether or not Casilla sticks around this summer. Although it was, I, I thought it was quite revealing what Bielsa said and, and what he did towards the end of last season, playing Casilla. And, and speaking again in his defence, he obviously thinks really highly of him and he obviously wants him around the club. And Casilla's, uh, you know, still... Under contract, he's on a he's on a high wage, but now that they're in the Premier League, it's it's not uh, you know comparatively as high as it, it was percentage wise in in the Championship. Um, so if he sticks around, I think we'll probably be looking at two, three at first team level as it is, and then there'll be players coming in um, at, at under twenty three, under eighteen level as well, which seems to now be a, a bit of an annual event at Leeds. They do like to attack the youth market and they do like to keep that squad ticking over and given how strong it is already it's it's not going to be a bad thing at all if, if they make additions to that which I'm sure they will And as a proud Scotsman have you been enjoying the Euros then? Did you uh, celebrate the nil-nil against England at Wembley like some of your uh, fellow countrymen? Immensely Immensely <laughs> You see I I, I I was one of those people who realised that Scotland had qualified through the back door, so to speak, and I had very limited expectations for them and, and even lower still after the first game against the Czech Republic. I mean, 
to my mind, that was the one that did it. The kind of refusal to go too up front and to be overly ambitious in that game. That was the game that the Scotland had to win. They they did play well against England, although I thought it was a strange night for the English. They seemed to be very low on energy towards the end of the game. And, and I didn't feel like they were playing for a point because they thought a point would be a good result, you know, in the, the latter stages. I thought they were they were playing for a point because they didn't seem to have a huge amount left in in their legs. But I'd probably say the same about Scotland in the certainly in the second half against Croatia. And again, tactically, they they just weren't there. They were really limited. It was very long ball. They got absolutely murdered by Modric, who had all the space he needed to to play in. And it's over. So so what what is it they're estimating? Two thousand and thirty six will be the next time you see me. Yeah, something <laughs> like that. Uh, do you see parallels with what happened with Leeds in the Championship a little bit with Scotland's performance against England? I mentioned over on the Square Ball podcast that it had echoes for me of like, say, the Wigan game, for example, games where England were expected to win, England being Leeds United in this example, and uh, Scotland being Wigan. I don't know if that's an unfair comparison, but you know what I mean? Like, so Wigan came and gave it their all, absolutely uh, ran their legs off. And like we've seen with so many other teams as well, the game afterwards, it costs the team that's faced Leeds. Yeah, potentially. Um, although I think England played poorly on the Friday night, if I'm, if I'm being honest. And as good as Scotland were, it was unlikely. I, I always felt that Croatia would get better than they were in, in their very first game against England. I, it was hard to tell on the night how much of a factor nervousness was for England. I, I'd be surprised if it was a, a hugely significant. There was a crowd, but it, it wasn't massive. And I don't think the crowd was, was particularly difficult with them. They just didn't really seem to get going. And I think they definitely do have a problem in, in the sense that Harry Kane looks out of sorts and looks leggy and, and doesn't look anywhere near his best. And given that the team, to some extent, has been built around him or has been built with him as a, a very main focal point, it, it is it is a concern. But I've, I've got to say, this game coming up now, England-Germany, is an absolute cracker. And needless to say, like a bit of a glory hunter, I'll slip back into the, the England camp and claim English relatives and, and everything else, much to the frustration of my old colleague at the Evening Post, Steve Ryden, who is 100% convinced that I'm 100% Scottish. I'm surprised that you say that. Actually, I think I, I imagine most Scots would be uh, would be going for Germany in this one. Well, I've got a lot of English blood, you know. My, both my parents are English, and obviously, I've lived down here now for twenty odd years. And kids are English, wife's English, and everything else. So I don't really fall into the camp of anybody but England, and I don't have a, a huge allegiance to to Germany either. So no, it would suit me quite happily if if the English um, went through. I have to be honest, though, I can't call this game on Tuesday. Both teams seem to be very in and out. But having watched the Germans last night, I think it's. I think from England's point of view, it's very winnable. What do you make of Liam Cooper's contribution to Scotland? Then bit of a bit part player, really. Yeah, he was that one game, first game, and then obviously switched to to back three, which meant that there there was no room for him. Um, I thought it was slightly odd against Croatia that uh, when Hanley came off, it it wasn't Cooper that came on; it was Scott McKenna instead. It, seem to me that of the two of them, Cooper is the is the better player. I'm pleased for him that he's had some some international recognition and some international experience because he's I mean he he's obviously featured. Um, I think I'm right in saying, although mine might be tricking me here. I, I think he featured in our list of top ten signings and he's been great value for Leeds and he's also captained them through the, the best period in the the club's history of the of the past twenty years. Um so he's you know he he is at that level where I think he's he's good enough to play in tournaments like this. But I, I suspect he'll come home a bit disappointed that his involvement was as limited as it was. 
you think he'll have an appetite to stick it out for the next World Cup, which is what winter twenty twenty two, isn't it? Next next winter, so in uh, eighteen months' time or thereabouts. It's a good question because he's creeping into his thirties, and and that's the point at which players always have to make a, a decision about how much weight they're going to put on international football, or, or whether they need to concentrate a bit more on on club football. I, I don't think. 30 is a particularly old age these days for, for a footballer. And I would think he's, he's got life left in him. Yeah, I think the bigger question will be, is there much prospect of Scotland qualifying for the World Cup? And if they don't, you're talking you know, another two years down the line to the, the next Euros after that, at which point he, he's obviously getting older and other players will be coming through. So it may well be that, that this has been his, his one and only opportunity. But I, I, it would surprise me with him if at this age he, he was ready to give up on it yet. What have you made of Calvin's um, form for England then? Very good, very good. But I don't think any of us are shocked by that at all. And and Phillips is one of those characters who is inherently confident and inherently laid back, doesn't seem to suffer from tension at all, doesn't seem to suffer from imposter syndrome. So as he moves up the divisions um, or, or moves into international football, clearly thinks that he's good enough to cope with it. Really, really impressed with him against Croatia. My only concern with him in, in the sort of advanced midfield role. And, and in that position, he, he was actually doing a lot of what he tries to do with Leeds, a lot of ball winning, you know, a lot of a lot of good um, sort of searching, searching passes. But there was always the risk that with him and Rice and, and the team together, that at some point that wasn't going to work. And at some point it wouldn't be quite adventurous or, or attacking enough. And I still think that if you're giving Phillips his best position, you're playing him as a four um, in front of the the defence. But he's, you know, he's very, very quickly pushed himself into a position where he is, you know, pretty much first choice. Um, he, he is a, a starting player now for England, which is is pretty incredible when you think that he's he's only had one season in the Premier League, and you know where he where he was at, like a lot of other players at Leeds prior to to Bielsa coming in. So I think we were mentioning Liam Cooper there and, and what the future holds for him internationally and saying it's it, it's quite difficult to predict. I think this tournament will will cement Phillips' place as a as an England player for, for a while longer yet, regardless of what happens in this tournament and regardless of what happens with Southgate. I think the way he plays for Leeds and the way he plays under Bielsa and the way he's improved under Bielsa as well makes him an obvious go-to player for any England coach. And Clicky is going to get a bit of a rest. I mean, I know, uh, we'd always like to see our players progress through the tournament and keep an eye on them. But if there's one man who needs to put his feet up, I would argue it's Mateus Click. Yeah, absolutely. And he, you know, he, he had that week off at, at the end of the season. He was quoted himself back sort of February, March time as saying that it had caught up on him a little bit this season, and he did feel like he was jaded and and that he he was suddenly starting to to sense how much football was was in his legs and how much he'd played over two years with, with Bielsa. I, I still think he's a cracking player and I still think he's a player who needs to be a, a you know a central part of, of this squad at Leeds, but it won't do him any harm. He, he'll get a little bit of time off now, the same as all the players who are playing in the Euros. The bulk of the squad are doing some testing towards the back end of next week in Leeds. Um, they'll start training the following Monday, they'll get into it properly and then at some stage a little bit further down the line, your players who've been away at the Euros will return as well but yeah I think a, a few weeks of R&R would be good for him Have you had a steer on Alioski then because he's now done with um, North Macedonia on his way to have a rest I mean it's now the 24th of June as we record this his contract is up yeah. inside the next week What what is he going to do? Well, they are still in contact and the offer is still on the table, but I don't think Leeds are minded to increase it. I think they feel like they've made him a, a fair offer, which which kind of reflects his ability and reflects his valuation and, and where he, he's at um, in his career. 
Alioski or Alioski's camp are given the impression that he does have other offers and he does have alternatives and, and they haven't taken the contract proposal from Leeds as yet. So it's very difficult to call. And I think at the end of the season, Leeds felt fairly confident that he would sign because he'd he'd indicated to them, to them that he would be he would be going. And then there were further talks with Victor Alter after the season finished. And and Alter came away from that, I think, very hopeful that Alioski might about turn a little bit and, and might think, Do you know what, I'd be I'd be better off staying here. This is probably the, the right decision. But there's been no movement since then. Obviously Alioski has been away at the Euros, which which hasn't helped. But at the moment, showing no sign of, of jumping on this offer. And and I don't know, in all honesty, whether Leeds have set a deadline for him. I don't know how, what they're thinking time-wise. I think if he doesn't sign, they would probably look to, to add a little bit more cover on the left-hand side beyond the, the left-back that they're, they're trying to sign, um, the, the first-choice left-back. But they'd like him to stay, and, and that's why the contract offer is, is on the table. It's there for him to take if, if he wants. But I don't think this is one that they can that they can allow to, to drag on indefinitely. I don't imagine Bielsa would want it to drag on indefinitely. I would assume that Bielsa would want a commitment from Alioski by the, the time that the players who've been away at the Euros are expected to be back and starting pre-season. So I think at the moment I would sway a little bit towards Alioski going elsewhere. But for as long as the option of staying is, is in front of him, um, you can never say never. In terms of um, uh, off-the-field matters, we've seen a bit of shifting on the, the training ground as well. The plan to locate at the Matthew Murray site just across the motorway from, from Ellen Road now being shelved because that's where the park life scheme is going to allow for more space to build on Fullerton Park for a brand new West Stand and Leeds going up to 55,000. There has been a, a shift in attitude towards this, I think, over the past 12 months. If, if you think back to the point where they were first discussing the sports hub at Fullerton Park and and the training ground and and potentially stadium expansion as well. The stadium expansion was always the thing that was spoken about as the kind of longer-term goal and and spoken about as potential because Leeds and and Angus Kinnear in particular realised that in order to do that, they had to be established in the Premier League. It it wasn't just enough to be promoted. If they were struggling in the Premier League or if, worst-case scenario, they were relegated again, it was in nobody's interest to be left with an expensive project and to be left with a a stadium with a, a capacity that wasn't going to be used. So they would have had space in the ground for the sports hub at Fullerton Park last August if it hadn't been for um, for COVID. There was a lot of attention given to the training ground project. Kinnear has got you know artist impressions for the, the Matthew Murray site on his laptop. Um, the, the funding was, was clearly something that needed to be sorted out, but they were, they were very insistent that it was sensible to be based in the city centre so that you were making the training ground far more accessible um, for inner city kids. You know, that it wasn't a kind of exclusive retreat at Thorpe Arch that you that really you needed parents who could drive you there, that, you know, public transport was difficult. It, it seemed to them that if they were to tap in properly to the, the core of kids who play football in Leeds, they'd be far better doing it by having a training ground in the city centre. But over the the past 12 months, and and you'll have noticed this with with Angus when you've had him on the show, I think, and certainly I have from speaking to him, more and more attention has been paid to the stadium itself. And and little by little, there's become this this feeling that actually the priority is to make Ellen Road bigger um, above all else. They they know that a capacity of 36,000 is not enough. It was interesting reading Kinnear's comments in a matchday programme earlier in the season where he said that down at Tottenham, their match day revenue is five times higher per game than it is at Ellen Road. And, and that's a really significant commercial difference. And as we've seen with, with Radrazani over the time he's been owner, one of the big 
focuses and one of the big jobs has been to increase the commercial and corporate performance um, and, and to hike up the revenue as much as possible. So that really is, has jumped to the top of, of the list. And because they've seen that Bielsa has been more than up to the standard of the Premier League, the squad have been more than up to the standard of the of the Premier League because they feel very content with the, the plan as it is and because everybody feels very settled and, and very happy with, with Bielsa and his, his team. I think they feel that the time is right to expand the stadium and, and also to expand it in a way which gets it to the right size. There's very little point in expanding it if you find a little further down the line that actually you still don't have enough space. Um, it's, it's almost impossible to do twice. So it sounds as if the Sports Hub will move over to the Matthew Murray um, site. Ellen Road will expand back onto Fullerton Park and I think there'll be some work done on the north stand. And, and I suspect from what Keneal was saying a while back as well, they will probably try to um, upgrade the, the south stand, although because they've got Ellen Road behind it, I don't think there's much they can do with, with the capacity of that or not to, to any great extent. But that looks, you know, everybody seems to be on board with that. Um, Brad Rosani, the 49ers, and that looks like it will be the next thing in terms of infrastructure um, or major infrastructure. That looks like it will be the next thing coming down the track. Well, we'll watch all that with keen interest, Phil, and we look forward to having you back on the show in a, in a few weeks' time. Go away and continue your recuperation get back on the first team pitch and all the rest of it. And um, we'll see you in a couple of weeks, hopefully. Lovely, yes, I will see you soon. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Joining us now on the Phil Hay Show, well, we heard from a dour, upset, sad Scotsman before. Presumably this is going to be a happy Welshman in the form of Bryn Law. Welcome to the show. Happy-ish. <laughs> Welcome. Thanks. I mean, yeah, deal. Presumably you've been enjoying this tournament up to a point? Yes and no is the answer to that. The yes is the performances. The no is I should have been there. I had tickets for both games in Baku, I had a ticket for Rome, and I've ended up going to none of the matches. I've been watching them in the Lamb and Flag in Leeds. So that's the disappointment. But in terms of from a distance watching, yeah, I've enjoyed it so far. For my part, I've enjoyed seeing the pictures of you enjoying it in Leeds anyway. (laughs) That's what we can do. And I like the picture from the lemon flag of of the terrace and everything. And there's some people obviously just trying to have a nice quiet dinner at the side <laughs> at the side of you all watching it. How many how many people have you got down there? For well, it? we've been getting about fifteen down there. And I'm, I'm I mean we're talking now ahead of the uh, ahead of the Denmark game, and I'm, I think we're going to have our best turnout yet for that one because word yeah sort of word's gone around. But it's been it's been quite heartening actually, and people have have you know we've had the same people coming. Um, we've got a core group who've been coming not all of whom I know as well, by the way, which is good. I've got to know them a little bit over the course of the three games, but we had others joining us in, at various times as well. So yeah, we've had we've had 15 is the most, I think, so far, but I think we might be, I think we might be looking to exceed that figure for this next one. Because what happened with the Euros last time, which we'll probably talk about uh, a bit more about in, in, in a moment, but what happened with the Euros last time was basically everybody was really into it, went. So I was there for all the games. Some of the lads that I'm watching 
the matches within the Laman flag were all Leeds based. We're all out in France for the Euros. So we went. We've not had the opportunity to do that this time. So we've been looking for a suitable alternative. And the suitable alternative to me isn't sitting in the in the living room watching it on the telly. You know, the only person in the house who's interested because nobody else in the family, you know, gives a toss, basically. <laughs> so uh, that isn't the alternative for me. I want some sort of shared experience, at least if I can't be at the matches. And clearly, with the um, Dutch authorities now having literally banned Wales fans from the next game, you know, that's not happening sort of thing. It's interesting hearing you say that because when we've spoken in recent months talking about the experience of being in empty stadia, how important the shared experience is for you because that's one of the things you spoke about at length about the last Euros because you did a book about it as well. I did, yeah, yeah, yeah. About because I'd done, I did two books based around the fact that first of all, Wales qualified. So that was when I was working for Sky as the Wales reporter. So I did all the games from that sort of correspondence perspective, but also being a fan as well, lifelong fan. So that was that story, if you like. And then for that summer, when we finally, we'd finally got there in um, 2016, I decided that I didn't want to work on it. There were a number of reasons for that, but amongst them being that Sky had no rights to any of the tournament. And that makes a massive difference in terms, of, in terms of the type of access that you get to the tournament. You're literally kept out of the stadium footprint if you haven't got rights to it on a match day. So I'd been right, I'd been on the pitch in Bosnia when Wales qualified and I was going to go from being on the pitch with the players to not even being allowed in the car park technically, you know, on, on a match day sort of thing. So I didn't really want to go from one position to the other. It just And more than that, I just wanted to go and watch it as a fan. That's all I'd ever wanted was to go and support Wales in a summer tournament and I'd finally got the opportunity. So I didn't want to be at the, you know, beholden to somebody else saying we need you outside there standing up at 7 a.m., you know, to talk about blah, blah, blah. I didn't want any of that. So I booked, as soon as we qualified, I booked two weeks holiday, just two weeks holiday, just to make sure that nobody at Sky could sort of ring up and say, oh, we need you to do this. So I'd, well, I've already booked the holiday. So as soon as that got squared off, the holiday request, that was that was me into full preparation mode from that point <laughs> onwards. And of course, two weeks became three weeks, became nearly a month as it turned out. I sort of, I was fine all the way through it. I continued to do the fan thing. So, I mean, it was, and as, Ask, you'll have heard it, this phrase bandied around constantly in the build-up to this championships. But for anybody who was there, it was the best summer of their lives. I can say that without fear of contradiction. It was just brilliant. Does it's, that give you a problem this time around? Because yeah. you just know it's not going to be, you, it, well, you'll it, never get that high again. It, it was already not going to be. If you took COVID out the entire situation, the tournament was is, is was an absolute nonsense. It's ridiculous. It made no sense then. It makes even less sense now. So we were already looking. As soon as the draw came out, and we ended up having qualified, which was great. And I was there the night we beat Hungary to qualify. So enjoyed all of that. Not working on the Wales games anymore, but, you know, back there as a fan. Enjoyed all of that bit. And then we got the draw and then the fixtures were allocated and we ended up in Baku. So Wales is the furthest Western team in Europe that qualified for it, now sent to the furthest Eastern destination location for it. So it's a five and a half thousand mile round trip in a European tournament. And it just, it, it right from the get-go, it seemed like an absolute absurdity. However, having said all that, I booked the tickets <laughs> and um, and then looked at started looking last summer, obviously, when we thought it was going to be, so started looking at what the flight situation was. That was rubbish because there's only one direct flight a week from the UK. So it's a really difficult place to get to. One of the major hub airports is Istanbul. We were playing Turkey in the second game, so that was going to be an incredibly busy route in the build-up and the aftermath of that particular game. And then there was a short turnaround to get to Rome as well. 
So it just it just looked like in terms of if for France drove over. I'd hired a camper van, which I picked up in France, and we drove. I mean, even that was a bit of a mad tournament because instead of staging it in single group sections, you, we were up and down the country constantly for two or three weeks, north to south and north to south. Um, so there's a load of driving for that, but it, it paled into absolute insignificance against the lunacy of this particular tournament. So it was looking very problematic anyway, and then they delayed it for the year, and nothing's got easier since, has it? So no. then you started to factor in, you know, the testing regime, the potential for being in quarantine in Baku, in Azerbaijan. If you failed the test on the way back, you were there for 10 more days. And if you failed it again, you're there for another 10 days. You know, you could still be living in in, in Baku, <laughs> basically. So that you just looked at every complication. So that eventually it got to, the, they offered a refund, at least they offered a refund, I guess. So I kept the tickets until the very last minute, just on the, oh, kind of, I just didn't want to give them up because that was the end of it then. And then I got to that final point, but I think it was on the final day that I could refund them and I, and I pressed refund and they went. So the that dream, was, the dream dies. That was yeah, it. That's yeah. it. That, it's gone then. So I still had a Rome ticket though. A pal of mine had bought two tickets and, and he had one of them, which was for me. Then we went, I went and I thought, God, it, uh, Rome, maybe something will have changed by then. Cause we had this constantly, and now, as we're sitting here now, there could be more changes in the next few hours in terms of where you can and can't go. So you had this constant change around in terms of what's on red green amber whatever list quarantining rules and all the rest of it so i was on the off chance that this might change i booked tickets for own ryanair was selling tickets for 30 quid from manchester so i thought right well it's nothing to lose frankly i've got the tickets i booked the flights and it was out on the uh, day of the game early and then back the following morning early so less than 24 hours in italy but it got you from manchester to rome and then we got closer to it and nothing changed. And then actually the Italians introduced a, uh, an automatic five-day quarantine for those arriving in Italy, which initially was going to be from the Saturday uh, ahead of the game. Then they shifted it to the Monday after the game. But the constant sort of list of things that you needed to do for less than 24 hours in Italy, you'd have to test before you went, quarantine for up to 10 days, test on day two, test on day eight, potential test and release on day five. You add the expend, you know, the cost on of all of that as well. It just, you know, where I'm heading here. Yeah, yeah. You yeah. just get to the point where you go, I can't justify it. Plus, as a freelance, that quarantine period is significant because if anyone comes and asks me to do anything in that meantime and I'm stuck at home, I can't do it. So yeah. it inhibits my opportunity to work. And if Wales progress in the tournament, that will be another problem for me because I've got a date lined up in July where somebody wants me to do something. So that I've got to keep that ten day. Well, we're there now, basically, aren't we? We're, we're, we're almost at that 10-day period leading up to that now. If Wales progressed and where they ended up... Semi-final at Wembley. Well, that Those one, are the words I was going to throw That works. <laughs> that works for me. I can do that. <laughs> Who would you like to face at Wembley? Um, anybody, because we fear nobody. <laughs> and by the, If we actually got to that stage, like the last time in 2016, doesn't really matter. Some things haven't changed. It's really interesting in Welsh football, um, you've got a generation of people like me who had been through the mill constantly in sort of following Wales and those who came before me, hoping they were going to qualify, seeing them fail, sometimes gloriously, sometimes far less than gloriously at the final hurdle. Happened so many times. There's so many injustices have been to us, at least sort of um, perpetrated upon Welsh football. So we didn't get there. And then uh, we got to this point where we qualified, and now, we, but we still cling on to the memory of how we we were always failing. 
So the older ones amongst the... It's like the, leads. Uh, it's very similar. Yeah, in, in fact, you, you hang on to that. So you would always, you, you never have that supreme confidence. You know that thing where they go up and the Vox Pop thing where they ask people before the game, how do you think your team's going to do today? And they go, I'm go we're going to win 3-0. And I, I always look at those and I win. So how the hell, how could you bring yourself to say that on camera? Everybody's seen you say that your team's going to win 3-0. It's going to be easy. And then you lose. It's literally your fault. <laughs> I've, and I've held that with me for all my life. So if anybody's ever asked me, what's your score prediction today? I, go, I don't really do predictions. All right, draw. That's that's as far as I go with it. But that's inbuilt with this whole Wales thing because we've just, pessimism is goes with the territory for us lot, the old ones. Now you've got this new generation who've come through of fans who saw us qualify going, heading into 2016 and lo and behold, then we've um, we nearly we did you know got very close in the World Cup qualification group, came within a, a, a game of qualifying there, at least for the playoffs. Then we've won the Nations League. We've won our Nations League group in the last round, which people are actually forgetting. We, we're now in the top tier of the Nations League now, and we're in the European Championships, and we've gone through the group stages. You've now got young fans who think this is normal, and they have expectation levels now. So you go and ask them before a game, do you think we'll win three? You know, what do you think <laughs> score? They'll definitely say, I think we'll win three nil. And you can't really fault them for it, but they just haven't suffered. They don't Terri have the it's terrifying. scars. It's terrifying, isn't it? They don't bear the, the, <laughs> the mental anguish and, the, and, and all the rest that the rest of us have gone through, which is brilliant. And I'm really happy that that's the case because it's actually very important, I think, for Welsh football anyway, that there is this, that you get as dinosaurs kind of, sh you know, sh shunters to one side kind of thing. I mean, we're loving it, by the way. And I've got friends who are absolutely go everywhere, literally everywhere with Wales, you know, the, the four corners of the earth every single game. This is really hurting them, the fact that they can't go. I mean, I know a, a number who were in Baku who, because the quarantine, couldn't go to Rome because they've come back to the UK. And that, you know, these guys go everywhere and to be kept away from this thing that they've waited all their lives to enjoy. We don't know. As we're sitting here now, we don't know whether Denmark might be the last game that Wales ever play in a summer tournament. There's that pessimism. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah but, but because we still don't have... the Ask a young and they'll say, oh, we'll be fine, we'll be in the next one in Germany or the World Cup in Qatar or whatever. Yeah. But for those of us, that's the, that's the, the sense of loss here is, are we ever going to enjoy this again? Are we ever going to have this opportunity again? It is like Leeds. It's, the parallels are, are uncanny. It really are. Because I think as you get older, you start to have that wider perspective on your whole life, don't you? And you realise that it's all finite. And, you know, when I was... Uh, 21 or 22 whatever and we're in the Champions League this is going to last forever yeah. we'll I actually I've said before on podcasts I said to one of my mates Leeds will never get relegated now now we're up in the top four or five and we've got all this money coming in and then you realise another 20 years down the line well, what an idiot you were well, to it, think it's, like. it's the full package isn't it it's football and it's life Yeah. because at that age at 21 you're thinking right I'm I'm absolutely on my way to the top here this is it's all it's all fit into place yeah. nicely and then, you know, 10 years down the line, you oh, no, I'm not quite where I was anticipating I was going to be. <laughs> Another 10 years after that, you're thinking, oh my God, where where am I going here? And so the two things tend to, tend, who, who remains a supreme optimist? I've, I've just had my 52nd birthday, you know, the, each one that goes by now, you just chips a, a, away a little bit at that, at that sort of... If you are listening and you're in your 20s, it's great, honestly. <laughs> There's absolutely nothing to look forward to. It gets easier to take. I think that's that's all I can say. The well, disappointments, yeah, but the you, disappointments know you can roll with them. To take? Because you just, you accept that that's now part of life. And actually, that's a, it's a really bad thing in a way. So I've walked away. I, I was at the Wales-Romania game, a fam very famous game in Welsh football history. 
when we were one game away from the uh, World Cup in the in the States and uh, we needed a result in that final game at home against Romania to ensure that we went to the World Cup. Before that match, I was in a pub called the Oanglindu in the centre of Cardiff. People who've been the Millennium and stuff will know it. It's very near to the stadium. And um, I was in there. We were playing at the Arms Park in those days. And I was up on the on the bench seats. We're all, everyone was singing. We're on the march with Terry Terry's army, Terry Yorath, obviously, Leeds Connection. And we're all going to the USA. Everybody in the room was singing that song before the game. And then obviously <laughs> we went one down. We equalized in the second half, immediately got given a penalty kick and Paul Bowden stepped up and anybody in my age even struggles to talk about it now, took the penalty, hit the crossbar. And that was the end of that. Mm-hmm. We ended up losing the game 2-1. All the dreams of, of that World Cup just collapsed it at sounded, that point. It's sounding very... Uh... Watford playoff is this well, jubilant scenes in Cardiff well, I was going to say I, I, when you said Cardiff then I started having PTSD, well, it, PTSD. It, it is that sort of thing because then you think right well I will ne- and and this is absolutely is the case for me and I think if you ask lots of Wales fans again of my age they'd probably say the same thing I made a conscious decision at that point I was in my early 20s living in Leeds I just moved to Leeds and all the rest of it so I'd driven down from Leeds with mates to watch that game and I made a conscious decision from that point on, I'm never going to let myself get that carried away over a game of football again, straight up, genuinely, that I would never throw myself into it to that to that level. Because it, it was such a crashing come down. It's actually affected the entire rest of my life. I, <laughs> I, I maintain that game. So that innate pessimism that I have, I would point, if a psychologist or psychiatrist asked me, I would point to that night in Cardiff as the point at which I said, that's it. I can't. I can't be like that anymore. So I always now have that sense of you know, it probably won't happen. It's so funny. You two would get on really, really well talking about this sort of stuff because you, you're the two most pessimistic people I've ever met. Can't you come to think of it? Where do you strike the balance? I'm interested to know with with club football and and supporting Wales because I feel like we are both quite well massive. I mean, to me, it's ninety percent Leeds, ten percent England. If that, yeah. I, I, certainly, when I was younger, I think yeah. I was probably more into England than than I am now, and I think for me, sort of. 98 World Cup was probably probably my, my most invested well 96, 98 with the tournaments I was most invested in and since then I've, I've swung so massively towards Leeds but it feels like with you you're more uh, more of a 50-50 split on it oh, I'd say it's probably more than 50-50 frankly and I don't know why that maybe because my club side has been well for the last 13-14 years you know rubbish basically not to Rex, put too yeah, Rexham, Rexham, way, yeah, yeah. yeah not to put too fine a point on it so there's not been a challenge. Um, you, you've been looking for some uh, path to glory. You're always looking, as a football fan, you want a route to glory, don't you? You want those games, those moments. Hope. It's hope, that, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, so, yeah. And, but it's the, it's, the, it's the opportunity to celebrate something as well because, again, as you get older, you realise that you know, you've done marriage, you may have done divorce or whatever it is. You've got the kids and they're growing up and mine have now basically left home. So all those things disappear. So you... You still need that thing where you think, ah, oh, yeah, but if this goes well, this would be brilliant, wouldn't it? If we actually, and then we're all, oh, I'd, I'd love it if that happened. So if you've got one, one of my outlets for that is Wrexham. Well, I'm at the point now, <laughs> I've got to the point where, uh, well, until very recently where you think, yeah, it's not really happening, is it? So Wales has become, has become the other one. So every qualification tournament, you start off thinking this will be the one. This is going to be the one. And then you're two games in and you've lost them both and already the qualification campaign's over. <laughs> I wrote a diary, as I, as I mentioned, of that first one when we did qualify, but actually I'd started that diary about three or four times previously, and I've got the start of the draft, and it gets to game two, 
and we've lost it and it's like right tear that one up that one goes away so i've been at that position of knowing there's a massive story to happen here potentially but never getting to the point where i had the chance to write it until finally we did do that so for me that the international thing i i really enjoy and it's the trips away which hopefully leads are going to enjoy that opportunity to travel just to travel and, and see different places and i've done i've done a lot of traveling as a fan with wales as well as as well as working on wales games so I've enjoyed both aspects of that. It seems the the travelling aspect with Wales is a lot easier than doing it oh, with England as well. well there's, there's not a, the grief that you. There's that an important. Kind of I think there's an important aspect to what you said, Michael. I, I have loads of Leeds mates who don't really follow England, and they're not. I would say not really that bothered. And the only time I've seen a real interface for this was in Lons in the Euro 2016 tournament when Wales played England, obviously, and that was the only day in that entire tournament where there was an air of aggression if if that's the right word kind of around the around the, uh, there was an edge around the game and you know it was all there was supposed to be an alcohol ban in lawns and all the rest of it and the, the whole thing was an was an absolute carnival from start to finish for us wales fans but england had already had the big run in with the with the russians in marseille then it was wales they were playing against so there was an edge to all of that stuff there was a couple of some sort of it kicked off once or twice there wasn't too bad but there was an atmosphere that wasn't present at any other game in that tournament. And after that match, we were sat, me and my pal, again, from Leeds, were sat in the middle of, I think we stayed in Arras, I think we stayed ahead of that game, or Amiens, or somewhere like that. So we'd gone back there after the game, we were sitting there just having a drink in the middle of town, and some England lads came up and said, oh, can we join you? So they sat down, we had a chat. They hadn't been to the game, they'd been to the fan zone to watch it. And then they started their own discussion about amongst themselves about the fact that wherever England went, there was trouble. And then one of them said, because one or two of them were justifying the fact that it, you know, it's, it's not England's fault. Done it. And then he said, we always say that, though, don't we? We always say it's somebody else's fault. And I still struggle to comprehend that whole England away thing. That whole, I, I don't, a good point was made by a pal of mine who said, when Wales went away, all the, if you went to a pub, and we'd colonise pubs like everybody does in the sort of square or whatever, but if you walk past it, everybody, you'd only see backs when you walk past it, because it's all people standing there chatting to each other maybe singing or whatever, but they're all looking at each other. In the, If you walk past at the same place and England have taken it over, you see faces because everybody's staring out from the place, looking out onto the square. And it's a little tiny thing, but it mm. just, it's like, a, you're here. Are you here to register your presence to everybody else to say, come and have a go if you want? Or are you just here to have a chat with your mates ahead of this game that you're all really looking forward to? It's strange, isn't it? I quite like, like, the fact that Leeds away games have got a bit of an edge and because it, it feels like you're part of something, but I, I don't like the same thing with England. I, it's strange. That I don't know if that makes me a hypocrite or what. It, well, it's it, there's that invading army aspect. In that everyone loves getting off a train in huge numbers and you're in the station and, they, and the noise echoes around the roof and you, you pile out the station onto the street and it feels like you kind of, you own this place sort of thing. That, there's a great shared experience in that. If you haven't been in the midst of it, you might hate it, but lots of us enjoy it. But it's where you go from, you know, where you go with the next stage of that. And the further away from, the bit that really, really puzzles me with the England thing is you travel great distances to hate people. Why go that far? <laughs> you, could, you, can, you can kind of do that on your own doorstep. But why, Throw a patio why, furniture at home. Well, <laughs> it, 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 I, I do, and I love it. I, 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 that's <laughs> the bit I really, really struggle to comprehend. Why do you want to go away and make people not like you? And there are loads of England fans who don't do that. I'm absolutely, utterly aware of that. But there are a significant number still who do have that as part of, that seems to be part of the motivation. And that's the bit I absolutely don't get. Because if you've been away as a travelling fan, 
You'll know, I mean, I went the first time I ever went with Wales to Nuremberg to watch us get thrashed by Germany. But after that match, we got legged through the city centre by East German loonies. It was just after the, the Germany, you know, West Germany became Germany and East Germany. Um, so they'd taken it as an opportunity and, and it was a UK team effective that was being played. So, and it was, it was scary, you know. Why would you want to be a long way from home and, and in that situation where loads of people want to have a go at you? That's the bit that I just, I can't, I don't, I don't get that one. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League 2 after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Well, Phil's probably at home in bed now with a big bandage on his head following his uh, his surgery. However, we bring him to you now from the past. We recorded this a little while ago before he went into hospital. His top 10 signings since 2006, the 15 years in which you've been covering Leeds United, Phil. So far, we've had Kisnorbo, Snoddy, Becchio, Cooper, Rafinha, and then Jermaine Beckford took the number five slot last week. Who's your number four? Okay, caveat here, um, because Michael's going to have a pop, but the next three on this list are kind of joint second in that it's very difficult to, to put a cigarette paper between them. And I think your appreciation of their value would probably depend on the point in time at which we were talking about them. So if you went back to last season, you might position one above another and, and so on. It, they're kind of interchangeable and, and fluid. But at number four, I've gone for the man that I called uh, the T-1000 from Terminator a while back, Stuart. Dallas. What has Stuart Dallas brought to Leeds United? I mean, I said at the time when we um, when we spoke about Dallas, when you called him the T1000, when we signed him for a long while, I wasn't quite sure what he was, what, what we were supposed to be getting out of him, because in my mind, he was a winger, but he's never turned out to be that. No, he certainly was when he signed, and that was where he, he played initially under Uwe Rosler. And he's he spent several years being an integral member of the squad without ever sort of finding his niche and, and finding a a permanent position to play in. I think he he's undoubtedly brought versatility, and that that goes without saying. You can you can see that just from the range of positions that he's played with. But I also think he's brought an attitude of attainment and aspiration. I think he really embodies the way in which players under Bielsa have elevated themselves and have gone beyond what people perceived previously to be their their limits. I don't know if you went back two or three years whether anybody. Anybody watching Leeds would necessarily have considered Dallas to be a future Premier League player in the way that the same could have been said probably about people like Liam Cooper and and Luke Ayling and others. It's been a a very gradual thing with Dallas, but it's also been a story of somebody who has improved every time Leeds have improved and has always been there every time they've improved. And, And a player who Bielsa goes to all the time, plays so regularly. I think it goes a little bit unnoticed this and a little bit under the radar. 
But if you look at Dallas's appearances, particularly in the, the season when they were promoted, Bielsa basically used him whenever he could. He always found a position for him in the team. He was his right back, he was his left back, he would use him in, in midfield when there were issues with selection there. And latterly, for him to become a first choice midfielder, which isn't even central midfielder, which isn't even what anybody would consider to be his recognised position in a season in a higher division and, and in one of the best divisions in the world, it says an awful lot about not only his ability to adapt, but also his self-confidence, because I don't think it would be possible to to change position as much as he does and to be as good as he's been without believing that you can actually do it. Do you agree with our mate Moscow White, who said that the penny dropped with fans when it came to Dallas, that second leg of the Derby playoff semi-final at Ellen Road? I certainly think there's something in that. He'd looked like the only player on that evening who was going to drag Leeds through, and it probably is still one of, if not his best performance for the club, despite the result and despite what went on. I think he'd become influential before then in Bielsa's mind and and had been a, a very strong part of the team, but in quite an understated way, in quite a quiet way. It was never spectacular with Dallas. You could almost go without noticing him because your attention was always fixed on Hernandez or Kamar Roof as it was, and then obviously Bamford after that. But I think for Dallas, the penny for him really dropped in the summer when Bielsa came. People at the club talk about him and Cooper, they're very, very close friends and the partners are very close as well, spend a lot of time together. Deciding prior to Bielsa arriving in England that they were going to cut out all alcohol from the diet. They didn't drink a lot because players don't these days, but they were going to stop completely. And they were going to kind of change the way they looked after themselves because they knew what was coming. Now they'd read enough or they'd heard enough about Bielsa to know that it was going to be extremely intense and parts of it were going to be hell. And you either got up to speed with it very quickly or you would you would drift away. And I think that helped to make them big players in Bielsa's eyes. I think he likes their attitude anyway. I think he likes their, their effect on the dressing room and their general mood and general demeanour. They're very coachable players, very easy to manage, never, never a problem and, and never a, an issue. But they they are core members of, of this squad. They're the senior players. They're the sort of players that Leeds would speak to first when, for example, the COVID wage deferral. You know, both of them were, were involved in those talks because... Both of them are seen as very senior members of the squad and, and very influential members of the squad. But you have to say with Dallas, in, in absolutely no way is he a cheerleader. He's, he's in the team on, on merit and he's been as good under Bielsa as just about anybody else. How good is Stuart Dallas then and does he deserve his place as number four in this list? I think maybe he deserves to be higher given the season he's had this you year. See, but I told you. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm not sure how good he is because he keeps getting better. I'm unsure of where his ceiling is because... He moves around positions and he plays incredibly well wherever he goes, it seems. I remember going back to Bielsa's first season, he, he, he might have been one of, if not the first game, certainly one of the first games he played at fullback for us and he was at right back away at Blackburn and we lost. And he looked a little bit out of his depth there. He, he got skinned a few times and I think we probably talked about it afterwards and were saying like, well, he's probably not really a fullback. I'm not sure he's necessarily got the skills to play there. Bielsa kept playing him there. He kept getting better there. And the same thing has happened with him in midfield. He just, in, to the point now where he looks, if you watched a game, you wouldn't for a second guess that that wasn't his his first choice position. So I'm interested to see what happens. I think he can probably keep going as this as this team improves. I think he can probably try and stay in it. Something they said, said to me after the Blackburn game, he was playing as a false two in the sense <laughs> that it didn't seem like there was actually a right back on the pitch. But I was just going to say, to to answer the question of how good is he, who the hell knows? I mean, it seems as if every time you think he must have just about peaked or reached his limit, he gets better and better. And I think 
I'm not saying it's easy to play at fullback, but I, I reckon it's easier to adapt and be decent in those positions than it is to adapt and be extremely effective as a as a centre mid. And I think the fact that that he is now looking like first choice centre mid or, or one of them at Leeds tells you that he's gone up a notch again. A great footballer and a, a damn good human being as well. Stuart Dallas takes the number four slot on Phil's top ten signings since two thousand and six. Paddy Kisnobo at 10, Robert Snodgrass at 9, Becchio at 8, Cooper 7, Rafinha 6, Beckford 5, Dallas 4, into the top three when you join us next week. To the football aspect of it then, and in particular a Leeds United lens, Tyler Roberts hasn't really featured at all, has he, for, for Wales. Can you give us an insight into what the view of Tyler Roberts is from a Wales perspective. He's still doing exactly with Wales, I think, what he's trying to do with Leeds United, which is establish his credentials effectively. And he had a really good run in the side, obviously, at the back end of last season. I was so happy when he got that, when he finally got the goal, because it hadn't become a joke, but it was it was a sort of, it was a, a thing around the commentary and stuff that, you know, is Tyler ever going to score kind of thing. But he got his opportunity. He got a good run out in the side. So I wasn't at all surprised that he then got offered the contract extension but I think in a way, with Wales like Leeds, he's trying to, I think still people are maybe trying to work out where he plays, basically. And the way that Wales play, there are other people in that kind of position. If he's sort of playing in the hole, you've got, you know, when Ramsey's fit, you've got, he's a top quality international player. So he's likely to be in that position or Bale sometimes will play in that floating position. So I think the competition's quite fierce for Tyler to actually say what Wales actually lack is a striker. So they got Kiefer Moore, but as evidence in the last game against Italy, when they didn't start with Kiefer Moore, there isn't another striker. Well, there is, but he's 17 years old, the one in the squad. So there is a role for Tyler there, but he's not. I don't think he's perceived as a striker, is he? So that's where he's going to find it may be difficult to get in this tournament. Well, has found it difficult to get game time. The fact he's there is good because from my selfish Welsh perspective, the more of those players, he's next generation, Tyler, for sure. Listen, this place is definitely there in the Welsh squad because your Bales and your Ramses and your Allens are all getting that little bit older. They might be around for Qatar. It's unlikely they'll be around for the next European Championships. So this group we've got is a really young group, youngest squad, I think, in the tournament. So Tyler's part of that that group that's ev- evolving. So he's been with the group and no no group of young Welsh players has had this opportunity before to learn what tournament football's like. We've never had a generation that's had that opportunity. So Tyler's part of that group. So his time will definitely come. Just might not be this time, I suspect. There were probably some serious questions asked about Tyler Robertson, whether he had a future at Leeds around the turn of the year, coming into the final year of his contract. But he's signed an extension now. Do we expect to see him kick on then, do you think, in the next year or two? Well, it has to be the expectation, doesn't it? That's the whole point of the process. And I think that's why, like I say, when he was getting games at the end of last season, clearly Marcelo Bielsa has identified that there's a place for him in that group. So he, he used the opportunity, I think, over those final few games of the season to to sort of test things out and to, and to have a... Because the one thing Tyler had lacked from the time he's been at Leeds from the beginning, isn't it, is that concerted run of games. So that run of games became his longest run of consecutive starts since he's been at Leeds United. And he's been around quite a while in comparative terms now. So he, he figures, you know, and, and he's had his contract and they like him. Clearly, he's a good member of the group. He knows how the system works, which I think is important. So you would anticipate that there's something for him there next season. Did you enjoy the end of the season then? We had Mr. Dorigo in your sidekick um, yeah. some weeks ago and he was uh, giving off the impression that it was a nice time you were, you were having. Yeah, no, well, we, well, it was a nice time we had from 
day one till day whatever it was, day 38. It was brilliant. And the, the way that Leeds finished was really, really encouraging. It's easier to do the non-pessimism bit if you if you if you I'm highly invested in it, but not like it's not like you know the next level invested in it. Yeah, and I, yeah. so I can sit slightly more dispassionately and say I think Leeds could do really well next season. And even and I still got slightly nervous saying stuff like that. But if you were assessing it and the way that Leeds finished and the way that you saw players emerge who you think can become even better players, so Yorente. Even in flashes, Koch and those lads who, you know, what Rafinha had done through the season and what Rodrigo started to do in that back end, you thought there's some good players here. Plus the ones who are already here, who've had a really great season, you know, sort of standout seasons for the likes of Bamford, Ailing, Dallas, people like that. If you keep all of them together and add two or three more in those positions, I think everybody knows what the positions, the positions that Leeds need to recruit in. If you add to that, I would say there's, this looks like a good squad to me, and as, as an eternal pessimist as well. Yeah, two well, of you sat in the room. Do you, do you hold? Do you think the Premier League holds fear for Leeds next season, or or not? You said you could. They could do well. Do I, I don't think it should do. From what I've seen last season, I don't think the Premier League. And that's what was the, that you asked about the the run in the, the the final few matches. That was the great bit of that because they took on some of the bigger teams. Obviously, going to away at the Etihad, and then I thought the Man United draw at home was a. It's a really good performance. Uh, I enjoyed that game a lot. But they played against some of the teams that they need to be getting points off if they're going to do anything a little higher up the table. And only a little higher up the table means sort of a push at least for Europe next season. I mean, if you look at it, the Brighton result leads with that Brighton result away from actually going into the final weekend mm. with the potential to finish in a, in a European place. So that was the one blip in that final running. But everything else I saw at that stage, I liked what I saw. You know, they, they just got better and better. And all this nonsense had been talked about, the fact that they were going to be burnt out and all the rest of it was proved to be just that absolute mm. nonsense. I think it's, it's moved on to the second season thing now, hasn't it? With people saying, well, Sheffield yeah. United did well. But equally, Sheffield United finished the season badly, didn't they, yeah. the year before? And they went into the, the new season with absolutely no momentum without having strengthened with a team that were generally their best players were getting older and, yeah. and whereas ours it feels like I love, should, I love it you two are trying to convince one another they should all <laughs> they should all be at least as good as last season shouldn't they with yeah. the with the ages of them we've not got like we've not got a, an aging Pablo Hernandez anymore that we're trying to build a team around that you're thinking can he drag another year out of himself like this they should all be kind of in their peak well so. and, and with Sheffield United you looked at the group and you thought the one thing that seems to be lacking there is the recruitment aspect of that and that's what Leeds did well last summer, because although you didn't see as much of those players as you'd have liked, maybe, but the bits you did see give you a strong sense that they are going to improve the squad. You know, if they stay fit, they'll be good players for Leeds United. So if you can add two or three to that, you've then got this quite a core group then that all look like they're, they are proper Premier League players. And if you ally to that, the nous and the know-how of the man in charge, and their drive, the individual, the players, their own drive as well. The fact they didn't let up at any stage in that back end of last season, even when they knew the job was done. Mm. I think it. I think it bodes well, very well. <laughs> I think it bodes very well for next season. I like you, a, choosing your words carefully. Yeah. I, could just, I could just see that you. Well, I, don't, yeah. I don't want to be too optimistic. Well, do you know, through. I was thinking when when um, Marcelo Bielsa's the third anniversary of his of his uh, announcement of his arrival was was made. I'd done a another podcast in the in the run up to that when the speculation was uh, was around 
Leeds podcast and somebody asked me about it and I'd said something along the lines of, yeah, but he doesn't know the championship, does he? I wasn't <laughs> alone in saying that, but I have that phrase it, still rolling. My, I think somebody's going to just pull that out. Every time this anniversary comes around, yeah. somebody's just going to pull that out and throw it, you know, chuck it in front of it. I know it's there, out there somewhere <laughs> kind of thing. So you're always, you're always slightly nervous. You're getting haunted by the bold predictions you make one way or another, but I'll still make it. I still think, I think Leeds United could do re- really well next season. <laughs> it's going to help having the crowds back in as well, isn't it? It's an obvious thing to say. It's a thing well, we've touched it, on plenty. Is it? I think so, yeah. Are, are you one of those, oh, they'll get on the players' backs, make them nervous? I think it's going to be a great healing and I think there's still a lot of love and celebration to, to give out. Oh, no question about that. From the promotion. Yeah. I mean, um, that last game was fantastic. Just, I mean, it was that was really emotional inside the, the stadium for that last game. Just to hear some noise inside the stadium I mean, that that made a difference. There's one or two aspects of it um, that could be really helpful. The, the noise when you're chasing a goal late on, that kind of thing to drive. Not that these players actually really need driving on. I think they've proved that time and time and time again. But it could help in terms of it being a different atmosphere to lots of other Premier League grounds where it's all tends to be quite quiet and sterile these mm-hmm. days because they're super grounds, but nobody makes any noise in them, which obviously won't be at all the case at Leeds United. As long as there is also that goes with that, that, that willingness to be patient or, or understanding of, because it's been posited that Pat Bamford had a great season because there weren't people in the stadium that that might have helped him in terms of the decision-making, you know, and not chasing things that he wouldn't chase if somebody wasn't about to howl at him for, for not doing it or whatever. <laughs> so there is that, there is a, a, you can't not have fans in, by the way. I'm not yeah, advocating yeah. that at all. Yeah. Um, And I, I do think... Yeah, on the balance of probability, it should be, be, nice be a positivity. To them. Just be nice to them. Be nice because they absolutely <laughs> deserve to yeah. feel the love because they have been absolutely magnificent. I mean, I've enjoyed watching and being around that group as much as any group I've ever, you know, had the privilege to, to watch over a regular period in the past. They are a fantastic group. And the football as well. I mean, it must be such a thrill to commentate on oh, football it, like that. It's ruined me for everything else. I've yeah. said this all along. It's ruined me for watching other matches now because I look at them and I go, well, where, where's your fullbacks? Why aren't, Same why, as England for us. That's, yeah. that's yeah. part of the reason. Why yeah. aren't they on the yeah. edge of the penalty area now? Where are they? Um, why, why are you not chasing him back? And I tell you, it's because <laughs> I saw quite a lot of Wrexham at the back end of the season because we were doing the, the streaming coverage of the game. So I was there to, I was lucky enough to be in the ground to watch the, uh, those matches. I mean, obviously, it's a completely different level anyway, but it's not actually about the level for me. It's about the application. And I don't think there's any reason why a player in the National League can't, at the very least, do the same amount of running as a player at Leeds United does. And and that would go to every position between the two clubs, frankly. That's what fans actually demand, is that you've got a corner kick and 10 seconds later you're on the edge of the opposition penalty area. Mm. That's what fans want from you because that is you putting everything into it. Now, you can be the worst football in the world, but at the very minimum, if you put that much into it, then then you've, you're doing something right. Yeah, And that's the bit, actually, that I find hardest, in a sense, to not see with, with other teams is when you think, well, I've seen Leeds doing this week in, week out, so why aren't, they? Why aren't you? Yeah. That has been a frustration watching England that you... You, and you end up watching it like Bales from the sideline, kind of move, move, move. You just want you wanting someone to it's like, just pick up the ball and run someone. It's what it's how we scored the other day is that Saka did it. He just got the ball and thought, well, I'm just going to sit off and see where this takes me. Yeah. And he feels like no one does it for England. And we've become so accustomed to watching it. And there was, I think it was in the first game when we were 
it was a, a cleared corner and there was Sterling and Foden with the ball and no one was up with them and you just you're just so used to Leeds when when there six happens, men there, yeah. six there, are, men. there are six men all yeah. all charging forward and there's, there's still three defenders there because they're all still trying to get up to attack the corner and I think I just dread the day that ends because it's got <laughs> it's so exciting to watch and it's it, we almost take it for granted now I think yeah, that yeah. that's that, that's just the way we play well I've noticed when I'm doing the commentaries that my voice level rises if Leeds clear a corner kick because then you're already anticipating what might come next. And if I don't have that same level of anticipation from the other team that I'm watching, whoever that might be, then there's a, there's an element missing there for me now. Do you listen to yourself back ever? It's actually quite hard to avoid it these days because we've talked about the, the sort of strange, slightly strange mix between it's an audio and a, and a visual commentary in a sense because it goes to different audiences, but at different times. So lots of it comes back in the form of the clipped up versions that the club uses on social media and stuff. Mm. So I do... They I, meant from, I meant from like an analysis point of view. Do you ever sit uh, back and like yeah. give yourself an air check? I didn't used to because I didn't like doing it, but I do a bit now just to see what works and what doesn't. I know I know what works and what doesn't, but just to kind of confirm in my own mind sometimes mm. what, what works and what doesn't. So when they do, I wouldn't sit back ever and listen to the whole game because that that would be very dull <laughs> and self indulgent. But I will listen, like because you you actually earn your money with it with the highlighty bits, you know. So they put the little highlights package out there; everybody can get access to on YouTube. That three minute, I think it has to be a three minute package. So they put those out, and I will look back at those, and I will actually I'll read the comments as well. I have oh, to admit, don't do it. it as well. Don't well, do it. you need to know. You need to know. Um, for better or for worse, shall we say. So it's quite, I mean, it's fantastic to read the, where they're coming from, by the way, because they're coming from, you know, this is the difference, by the mm, way, yeah, chaps. Yeah, 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 yeah. This is championship to Premier League. Well, we spoke, it's funny, we, we spoke to you in the wake of getting promoted, I think it was, wasn't it? Around yeah. that time, oh no, it was before that, I think, when we were uh, still recording over at Radio Air, and you said the difference and the media and the response and the scale of yeah. it in the Premier League is unknowable. And then actually now within it, you see it, don't you? It's mad. Everybody's got a comment about Leeds United and that's on a global footing now. So you look at that, if you go through those YouTube comments, you see lots of them are in Spanish, for instance, or mm. loads of different languages. Make sure you commentate in Spanish, don't you, sir? I, I'll, I'll give it a go, man. <laughs> see. Um, and that's the brilliant aspect of it. And something like the, the Man City um, highlights, that little three-minute highlights reel, got a million-plus views. Now, that... So the numbers just start growing and everything just gets that much bigger. And the great thing from Leeds' perspective is, the bad thing is they've not had the chance to tap into it over the last 12 months. The great thing is that opportunity still lies ahead, frankly. And what's happened over the season is the football's been so good and they've been such a great story that, as I understand it, there's loads of commercial interest in Leeds United now. So that should help drive this thing forward to make sure that Leeds start to attain that next level status that, Mm. you know, that's the challenge that lies ahead now. From a commentary perspective, I mean, Wales have got Denmark in the, the round of 16. Christian Eriksen and what happened there. Did you look at any of that, whether at the time or later on, from a commentator's perspective and, and how you handle something as extraordinary as that? Well, I always, 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 always had in my head when I was doing live games, and I've, I've told people about this before, particularly doing things like Soccer Saturday, that you have to always plan for the worst case scenario. And the worst case scenario in any situation, live situation like that, is sadly, quite frankly, somebody dropping dead on the pitch. And, you know, that was the situation that almost played out in that in that game. So that's why if, if I look to great pieces of commentary, I'd say, oh, you know, X doing gold, da da da. But one of the great pieces of commentary, there's two fantastic pieces of commentary, if that's the right word. And one of them is John Helm commentating on the Bradford fire. Yeah. Goodness me. 
which is in- incredible. And also Peter Jones at Hillsborough on the day of the Hillsborough disaster. And those two, because that's the point, you go to cover a football match. Covering football is relatively easy because it's, ah, yeah, great, da, da, da. But all of a sudden, when you've got to change completely like that and you've got to hit a, a new set of, of levels here and it, the tone has got to be markedly different, incredibly, like you wouldn't believe different. That's the bit that you do actually have to prepare for. You think it will never happen, but you have to be ready in case it does. And then one of the things that slightly concerns me uh, or concerned me when I saw more and more footballers, for instance, now being asked to report on football, is that what you're doing when you ask them to do that job is you're, you are neglecting to cover that journalistic aspect to this thing, which might require them to be talking in ways that they have never talked before and, and, and not used to talking in. Because anybody who goes into a live sport, live football situation, this could happen because the whole point is literally anything can happen. So usually you'd hope it would be Chris Kamara missing a sending off type thing, but that there is a you know there is something there's a Christian Eriksen moment in, in in any game as well potentially, and that's the bit where you need to know that the people you've got covering this thing understand the gravitas required and and will make use the right phrases and and all the rest of it. Mm. Um, I didn't. Uh, I was out watching the Wales game, so I didn't see the coverage around. I know there was a suggestion they stayed on the pictures too long and there were too many pictures, but it's a tricky one because you've got Gary Lineker, ex-footballer, and then they've got three pundits in the studio with him who are all ex-footballers. And I think they did, from what I read, they did. I, don't, I, I can't comment because I didn't see it, but mm. it, it is a, it, it's, a, it's, it's a tricky one, you yeah. know, that, and you need to be prepared for that. And I'd say that to a pundit if I, I do some bits of work with people who, who fancy having a crack at punditry. I'd say that to them, that you've got to be ready to change pace here, change the tone here, potentially. I mean, it was it was bad stuff, obviously, but thankfully he's okay in relative terms. And then football, you know, football just rolls on, doesn't it? Mm. <laughs> Incredible. Yeah, always they, does. They even played the, the ruddy game <laughs> straight off the back of it. You know, mm. it's just, wow, how... We seem to just compartmentalise things in football so quickly. Yeah, yeah, terrible, terrible. Right then, should we get on? <laughs> okay, goal kick, isn't it? Okay, and then and off we go again. I mean, which is great in a way because it heals itself constantly as a game, but in another way, it's like crackers. Come on, fellas. <laughs> this, it leaves this, Wales cast as the villains then for the next round. Well, it, unfamiliar it, it, territory. It, it is. This is very unfamiliar territory. We won an award for being lovely fans at Euro 2016. Now, all of a sudden, everybody wants Denmark to win and we've got no fans in the ground and the Danes have got all our tickets instead, so they're going to have loads there. So, you know, and what did we do to deserve all of this? We were nice. We're nice people. <laughs> well, well, why are you treating us like this? And everybody, obviously, I mean, I understand the, the sympathy the uh, the sympathy vote kind of thing that Denmark have got and good luck to them but um you know doesn't make me not want us to beat them obviously yeah. and to circle back to where we started maybe a semi-final at Wembley and obviously as much as we've kind of said it's hard to get as invested in England as we do Leeds United by any stretch of the imagination I'd love to see England Wales oh I wouldn't no no no, no. You've, almost, you've almost convinced me Wales should be allowed to win it <laughs> <laughs> yeah I'll have that <laughs> you don't fancy England? No, not at all. Because because exactly the same as in Lons, it just becomes the whole packagey baggagey thing where you can't really focus on the game or the or the you know the the, the experience going to Wembley. I've been to watch Wales at Wembley um, before, and the whole thing around it. Now, I, I I definitely not that one for me. Thanks. Well, good luck to Wales. I know you might not extend the same um, feelings back towards England, but do you know what? I'm I I, I was born in England. 
I was born in Liverpool. I lived in England for the first nine years of my life. And then I moved to Wales. And my mum's Welsh and a Welsh speaker and all the rest of it. And that's where the, that's where the allegiance really comes from. But obviously I lived there for a number of years as well. But I don't have any... I can watch an England game and be completely neutral about it. I mean, in the old days, I'll hold my hands up here and don't tell anybody, but I might have celebrated when a, when a team scored against England. <laughs> but it is the olden days. Because after that, I thought, well, no, actually, I don't want England to do badly. I just, I don't really... I'm not bothered. I'm not bothered. So I, I watch England games in a in a state of sort of complete neutrality. It's funny that because that's what Phil said a little bit earlier on when we were talking to him because he's kind of got English roots and yeah. you know family and all the rest of it. And it's good to know that we're not all completely hating on each other in the, in the UK anyway. Well, we, that, we can I, all be friends. Uh, there are not, unfortunately there are two there are there are a few who will, and that's the bit that would I'd say that that's not do England Wales England Scotland was was funny on that basis when you've got all the, the Scots coming down to, to London and all the rest of it. But um, but now nah, it, it's there's just too much other stuff goes with it. I, I don't need to know how much people hate Wales. <laughs> <laughs> so then um, Saturday, tea time, lamb and flag. Lamb and flag is our is our destination destination of choice for the uh, for the well we we've declared this the it's the ancient Celtic kingdom of Elmet is this area as I discovered very recently and where I'm living is kind of on the borderland but was at, at the heart of it and so I started to look around with slightly different place names and things with a slightly different perspective now so I created a Wales banner a Welsh dragon um, for the to hang in the pub which is the Awalgoch, which is the red wall, which is what they call the Wales fans as a travelling body. And then at the bottom, it's got Elmet on it because we are in the, the, the kingdom of Elmet uh, <laughs> as, as much as we're in the city of Leeds. As well. A Welsh enclave. Well, enjoy the match, Bryn, and best of luck. And we'll catch up with you soon. Thank you so much for coming on the show. You're welcome. If you want to subscribe to The Athletic, have a look at the very latest offer at theathletic.com forward slash Leeds pod. We'll speak to you next week with John Richardson on The Phil Hay Show. See you in a bit. The Phil Hay Show.